was that better or or worse than last week? I, I'm not I'm not sure how I'm supposed to feel anymore with these games. Was getting blown out and embarrassed by the Seahawks more uh, enjoyable than almost winning and almost ruining the number one pick and beating the Raiders the week prior? The thirteenth loss was certainly a lot less stressful than the twelfth loss. That's for sure, but almost beating the Raiders was a lot more exciting. It was like I hadn't felt that type of emotion watching a Jets game in years, the game against the Raiders last week. And and then we jumped to the 40-3 loss to the Seahawks of this week, and the result was what we wanted, but and that's assuming you'd just rather not watch a football game because that was unwatchable. But what a week for the Jets. Greg Williams gets fired. Manish Mehta gets pulled from the Jets beat by the Daily News. Woody Johnson is is back making appearances. Booty tweeting radio hosts. The Jets nominated a player for the Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year Award, and then they cut that player. And then, of course, oh, by the way, they're now three weeks away from the historic and notorious 0-16 season. I mean, we, we could take this week, take the craziness as, as far back as the Decision to go all out, blitz in a do-or-die, Hail Mary situation for the Raiders, losing the game in incomprehensible fashion, yet it was exactly what Jets fans wanted and what they needed, which I get, I, I'm on board with. I I hadn't felt that type of pressure from a Jets game in a very, very long time, but it's still, it's just, it's it's gross. So let me go from that game to then Greg Williams gets fired, which... I will say I don't have an issue with firing Greg Williams, but I think the direction or the at least the decision is inconsistent, which which I hate. I hate that inconsistency. And I'll give you two scenarios that I think are plausible regarding Greg Williams. And I know we spent time on this last week, so I don't want to get into too much detail about what went on against the Raiders, but he was fired since we last spoke about it, so I do need to at least give it uh, give it a mention. And the first scenario is that Greg Williams doesn't like Adam Gase, which is something that we mentioned in the podcast last week, which is true, and that he wants an 0-16 record on Gase's resume, which we don't know is true. If it is... And Williams did actually want to lose the game against the Raiders. It's a fireable offense. Even though it's what the fans want. The fans wanted to lose those games. So Greg Williams was helping the fans out. But if he was intentionally trying to lose the game, he deserves to be fired. The fans might want it, but that's not something that the organization is going to gonna want or is gonna, going to expect their, their coaches to go out there and actually try to lose the game on purpose. So the next scenario is that I think it's plausible that Williams just wanted to end the game on a sack and the game on a big hit on the quarterback, cement and put his own fingerprints or stamp on the win. The Raiders needed a near 50-yard touchdown to win the game. One play left, you know they're going deep. And here's the thing also, Derek Carr was really bad at throwing the deep ball in that game. He had receivers open. He had opportunities for big plays late. And touchdowns, even on that final drive. But he kept missing the receivers. So I think it's possible Williams figured 
Carr's not going to hit anybody for a touchdown anyway, so let's bring the heat, cover zero, all-out blitz. We're winning the game no matter what. Let's try to do it with the stamp of a sack. So if this was the scenario that happened, the problem that I have with firing Greg Williams and and placing all the blame on him for that decision is that the, the blame also has to fall on the head coach just as much as the defensive coordinator. And I know Greg Williams is, is was essentially the head coach of the defense. But what happened against the Raiders just shows how bad that setup is from an organizational standpoint in terms of having your defensive coordinator head coach the defense. And then the head coach, the actual head coach, has no say in what goes on in the defense and is only focused on the offense. Your head coach needs to pay attention to the defense. <laughs> Your head coach needs to pay attention to both facets of the ball. And that was something that I hated with with Rex Ryan. It was something that I, I hated with Todd Bowles, and now it's something that I hate with Adam Gase. The, the fact that the Jets cannot find a head coach that can coach both sides of the ball or have a say in both sides of the ball is just it shows how how poorly they do when it when it comes time to select a new head coach. The last three have only coached half the game. Your head coach can't only worry about the defense. Your head coach can't only worry about the offense. Can't sit on the bench by himself when the defense is on the field, which is something that Adam Gase has done time after time. And when Greg Williams calls cover zero in that situation, the head coach needs to say, no, no, we're keeping safeties and coverage in the backfield. But Adam Gase didn't do that, and and that's on him. That's his own fault. So I get firing Greg Williams from an accountability standpoint. I, I get needing to do it based on the locker room being so upset with what happened. Assuming that firing comes from the front office. But giving Gase the autonomy to make that coaching decision just a, a few weeks before he hopefully gets the same fate is so strange that it it, it kind of has me wondering, is it at all possible that Gase gets to stay? And I've I've said it for a while. I've been in favor of, of not firing Gase because I, I was afraid of an assistant coach coming in and winning a few games and then seemingly appearing as if they're deserving to be the head coach going forward, which I didn't want. I just I didn't see the point in getting rid of Adam Gase at this point during the, during the season at any point during the season, but maybe up until now, because I, I did say once we get close to the season ending, if you want to fire him to get a head start on the coaching search, I was fine with that. So I'll say now, like now I'm ready to fire Gase because I, I'm getting a little bit nervous that he might stay, and. It wouldn't be the first time that we saw a one in fifteen or an zero in sixteen head coach keep his job, and I legitimately think that once Adam Gase gets fired from the Jets, there is a really, really good chance that he never gets an opportunity in the NFL again. Whether that is as an offensive coordinator, as a quarterbacks coach, and certainly as a head coach. So to to sit here and say that I think that the Jets have a head coach that no other team would hire for any position within their organization, yet I'm still a little bit fearful that the New York Jets are going to keep him as their head coach 
just shows how, how crazy this organization has been for years and years. Look, it's it's a very small amount of nerves. I, I'm I'm pretty confident that the Jets are gonna fire Gase at the end of the year. But just do it now so we don't have to worry about it at all. I think the uh the, the next biggest thing on the list is is Woody Johnson and that kind of connects to the head coach also because like I said with with Christopher Johnson is more connected to Adam Gase than Woody Johnson is. I, I think if Woody Johnson is coming back and actually taking over the team this offseason, that there's a less likely chance that Gase keeps his job. Uh, but that's something that we're going to have to see going forward because I, I've been telling you guys for months that the Jets are going to have a new owner soon and likely a new CEO and chairman. I'm not exactly sure when it's going to happen. But Woody Johnson is coming back after spending the last three and a half years as the United States ambassador to the UK. And the 73-year-old Woody has, he's been working in the Trump administration the last three and a half years. I I don't want to pretend to know how good of a job Woody did as the ambassador to the UK because I really don't know. But it looks like at a minimum, he might have gotten a lesson from Trump in terms of how to... Uh, given to the urge of of tweeting rashly. In terms of coming back to the Jets, he might take a few months off. He might take a year off. He could also jump right in. And it looks like he might be jumping right in, or at least he's prepping himself to get back by seeing what the fans are talking about, looking for the scuttlebutt in the Twitter sphere. So CBS Sports Radio host Brandon Tierney in case you didn't see this, tweets a, a very measured tweet. No hashtags, no ats, just a basic message to Jets fans. Spewing facts. A- and he wrote, The amount of hope, energy, resilience, money, and passion Jets fans put forth compared to what the Jets actually deliver to said fans in return has to be the greatest disparity in all of sports. End quote. Now, not only did Woody manage to to find a tweet that had no hashtags, had no ats, Woody does not follow Brandon Tierney on Twitter, but he still found this tweet and he replied. So (laughs) Woody's reply, and I quote, was the at symbol, lowercase u, period, Capital I, end quote. Fascinating. <laughs> a fascinating tweet from Woody Johnson in response to Brandon Tierney, who had a very measured take on the New York Jets. And there was some back and forth, some, some debate as far as whether it was a capital I or a lowercase l. I did confirm that it was a capital I that Woody Johnson tweeted out. But this is it's either some sort of secret code or it's a booty tweet from Woody, which, let's be honest, it seems to run in the family because we got the booty fumble from Mark Sanchez, booty tweet from Woody Johnson. But what what I didn't understand is is why, so now I'm recording this around uh, 1 a.m. Monday morning. What I didn't understand is why Woody Johnson hasn't deleted the tweet. The fact that Woody Johnson still, this tweet he sent out, it was on last Thursday. The fact that he he tweeted at you, I, 
and he hasn't deleted it, it makes me think that it is something. I, I don't know what it means. That's for us to ponder. It's for us to think about and figure out. But w- what I do know is, is Woody's on Twitter, and he's looking for the scuttlebutt. He wants to hear and see the conversation. So if you tweet at Woody, he's going to see it. He might not respond the same way he did to Brandon Tierney, but he clearly is paying attention to what fans are saying. He's clearly looking for tweets about the Jets because this from Brandon Tierney had no ads. It had no hashtags. It, it, it was not sent to the Jets Twitter. It was not sent to Woody Johnson. Woody does not follow Brandon Tierney on Twitter, yet he found the tweet anyway. So if you're talking about the Jets on Twitter, Woody Johnson, the soon-to-be CEO of the franchise, is seeing it. So go ahead, tweet, send it to Woody, make it easy for him to find. He's going to be paying attention. We're going to take a quick break on the Brandon Condes Jets podcast back after this. I think we saw this coming. If you, if you pay attention to Jets media at all, we, we knew Manish Mehta probably wasn't coming back to the Jets beat for the Daily News. And we talked about it a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, where uh, he, he took his reporting job to some kind of sick heights, apparently, or I should say allegedly stalking Joe Douglas's son taking pictures of him in public eating ice cream and, and creepily sending them to Douglas. The one thing that I'll say about Meta in like mild defense of him is this. I think that he probably will get another reporting opportunity in the future, and I, I think he will because he's really good at his job. Um, the alleged stalking put that aside. He's a good writer. He's a a very good reporter. He he builds strong connections and sources, and he, he used to have those within the Jets organization. And I think that was kind of the downfall of him was that he was frustrated that he started to lose them when Mike McCagnan got fired. Uh, but he writes intriguing stories and intriguing headlines, and he generates a ton of clicks. I clicked on way more meta stories than any other Jets writer in the last five years or so. But he, he went he went too far. Uh, he went way past the line of reporting. And if he actually did stalk Joe Douglas or stalk Joe Douglas's son or family, stalk, stalk anybody, then he absolutely deserved to be fired. But I think he also will deserve the opportunity to take a step back, uh, realize that he got caught up in the competitive nature of sports media. Um, he, he took it to a disgusting level, but he needs to realize is that the realize the changes that he needs to make. Maybe even the help that he needs to get in it. Not, not that I want to jump to any conclusions that he, he needs specific help, but stalking executives, families, um, threatening the team with negative stories harassing reporters according to the washington post there was a story that came out mainly female reporters and female writers that he was harassing i mean he was targeting women and children in this it's disgusting you're a jets beat reporter and you're targeting women women and children what are you doing Actually, like now that I'm thinking about it, I I don't want to completely backtrack from just saying that he'll get another opportunity. But I I think that there will be serious rehabilitation steps that he needs to take to get another job. And I I don't mean like go to rehab because, again, these are all reports, so I don't want to jump too far. But in terms of 
rehabbing his image. Because it, it can't just be a denial from Meta or or waiting for the story to to fade for him to get another opportunity. He has to work to kind of to show uh, that he can work and and do his job as a reporter responsibly. But that was just that was another uh, additive to the the variety of unique stories that happened um, in in recent days for the Jets. Um. Just adding to the busy week for the Jets, there were also some rumblings about Bill Cowher and his interest in in possibly coming back to coaching and maybe even to the Jets. Boomer Esiason, who of, of course has, has worked on CBS with Cowher for, for about the last 14 years, he hinted that Cowher might be ready to return to coaching. But I, I don't know. We, we've heard this story before about Cowher and his potential interest in coaching a lot of times it was associated with the giants in recent years we've we've heard a lot with cower in a variety of, of teams and then cower came out over the weekend and he spoke to espn to rich samini to say that he, he wasn't interested in coaching again but he he kind of he kind of left it open-ended he, he left the door open a little bit because he said uh this was cower with um espn have it. He said, uh, I have too much respect for the coaching profession to talk about a job that isn't open. From that perspective, any job that is open, I have no interest in coaching, end quote. So like saying from that perspective, any job that is open, I have no interest. So he's essentially, he's saying he doesn't have interest in any open job right now. Any of the jobs that are currently open, the Jets, the Jets job is not open yet. And like we were talking about before, like I, I'd, I'd be at this point, I'd be happy if the Jets' job is open just to have the the peace of mind of knowing that there's no chance that Adam Gase is coming back next year. But the bottom line is, Adam Gase is still currently the head coach of the Jets. So, Cowher's perspective that he was talking about at ESPN that's going to change in a few weeks when Gase is fired, and the Jets might be in line to draft a generational quarterback. So that that's not exactly closing the door on clo- coaching from Cower. That that was closing the door on any current coaching opportunity. So he, he's he's not interested in, in going to the Atlanta Falcons. But that doesn't mean that if Adam Gase gets fired, that he's not interested in going to the Jets and assuming that they get the number one pick. But the the problem with with Cower is, do we as Jets fans do we want Bill Cower coaching the Jets? Do we want a 63-year-old head coach who's been out of the league for 15 years and has no track record at all of developing a quarterback? Cowher did not develop Ben Roethlisberger. Look at Ben's numbers under Bill Cowher. Not great. It wasn't until Mike Tomlin and Bruce Arians took over that Ben really turned into the Hall of Fame quarterback that we now know of him as. So for the Jets, like I, I want a coach that can develop a quarterback, and I want a coach that can be here for 15 years, minimum. And Cower doesn't fill either of those needs. He's going to be 78 in 15 years. He's not coaching an NFL team at 78. So I, I don't think Cower closed the door on the Jets' job. But to be honest, I kind of wish he did. Because I, I don't think I want Bill Cower. As much as like I could imagine that he can build a good program. Like You, you would expect that Bill Cower would walk into a, an organization 
and things are going to train, change. Things are, are going to be steady, and you're, you're going to feel that you have a, a good leader at the top. But I don't want somebody that's just going to come in for three or four years and make this team like an 8-8, eight 9-7 and, eight, and seven team. I want a head coach that is going to build a championship culture. And I want a head coach that's going to be here for a really long time. I don't know who that head coach is. I don't know if they can find it. But I know that a 63-year-old Bill Cowher that has not been in the NFL for 15 years and that has never developed a, a quarterback, that he's not the answer for the Jets at this point, no matter how good he was with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Only three games left to the season. I, I can't wait. Can't, can't wait for the misery to be over. And w- without De- when Denzel Mims didn't play against the Seahawks and without LaMichael P. Ryan and, and like there, there's very little to watch right now with this team. Very, very little to root for. It's tough. It's ugly. And in terms of Sam Darnold, I'm not sure that even makes sense to throw him out there right now. The odds of him having a good game versus the, the odds of him getting hurt. Like, I guess if he went out and threw for 300 yards, four touchdowns, and maybe he could boost his value a bit. But there's just there's just no way of that happening. If you watched him and you watched this team at all this year, he's not, he's not capable of that type of performance with this team. So Darnold can only devalue himself right now, and I'd, I'd hate to see him get hurt uh, for his sake. And for his value's sake, so at, at this point, I, I don't think I'd be, I would even mind if they just said, you know what, let, let's not let's not put Darnold out there. Let's go with Joe Flacco the remaining three weeks. Thanks for listening to the Brandon Contest Jets podcast. And as always, be good.